Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. Uh, just to uh, give a little update, uh, one, uh, people have asked about the hurricane relief. That's still going on, obviously, in uh, North and South Carolina, Virginia, those areas, but also with this new one in Panama City and uh, Florida area. While we are still uh, taking uh, donations. You can do that on the website if you want to for that work, and we'll be involved in our relief work there, too. I also want to thank you so much. Last week, you gave over $130,000 for missions. <laughs> Praise God for that. What a great blessing uh, that is and will be to so many around the world in a different and a variety of works. And so uh, I, I, just, I just want to say I love you for your heart for folks. And so what a great... Uh, Great blessing it is to be with such a good group of people. If you would, take in your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're starting a new series simply called One today, and so I'm going to uh, kind of introduce that series, and Trent will be breaking down some things later on in the weeks to come. So please follow along and... Listen as uh, we look at the Word of God. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father in heaven, we ask a blessing upon the reading and examining of your word today. May it move us to conform us more like your Son, Jesus, May we always hold in high regard and honor the words that were put down by your Spirit and your men. May we have open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. In this book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, Paul writes about who we are in Christ. Typically, this is kind of known as the doctrinal section, the first three chapters. And the last chapters are known as the practical section. So you kind of always have those hand in hand. Uh, And by the way, I never want to give up one or the other, right? I mean, if you think in terms of doctrine as information and it doesn't change your life, what good is it? But if you try to change your life without understanding the doctrine of God, then that's not going to bring good things towards your life either. And so uh, he tells us in the first three chapters of who we are in Christ. Remember, as he says, uh, all of our spiritual blessings that we have, they're all in Christ. And in chapter 2, he talks about that we are saved by grace. And where is that found? In Christ. Matter of fact, all the barriers have been broken down, he says in that chapter. Barriers of race and barriers of all kinds of things, of religion. They're all broke down. There's, there's no more Jew and Gentile. Now you're just in Christ, you see. 
And then in, in, in chapter 3, then he continues this idea of what we have, the promises that we have as heirs of, of, of God's people and what we have to look forward to in Christ. So it really talks about who you are, and you and I have nothing to do with that out of our own effort. We cannot earn that. We are in Christ because of the grace of God. We trust Him. We trust the gospel story. And because of His grace, we are, say it with me, in Christ. Now, that justification that comes by faith, that event that happens upon our heart and in our life, okay, that's not about our effort. That's about God's effort toward us and how much He loved us. So that, but now justification goes now into this last section of this book into sanctification. This is about living holy, continuing to conform ourselves, Romans 8, and to look like Jesus Christ. So basically he says this, that since you are the children of God, you ought to act like the children of God. Did your parents ever tell you that? Look, it's time for you to straighten up and act what? Right. Because evidently you were acting wrong. There you go. This is simple stuff, right? And yet, why is it so difficult sometimes for us just to practice what is right? And so he's going to start this chapter here in this uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Matter of fact, guys, if you could just go back to that first scripture slide, stick it up there. We'll just work out a bit for a little bit. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, or therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You've been called by grace. Now, Romans 8 says, because of that calling, you're called. Here's what called people do. They conform themselves to look like Jesus Christ. That's what you've been called to. So this lifestyle now that I live, I've got to live up to what I, what I already am in the Lord. And so... He says you need to live or you need to walk, some version says. That's about direction of our life. We walk worthy of this calling that we have. Now, how, And then he says that we're going to have to do some things and have some characteristics in our life that are going to lead to us being one in Christ. Now look, unity is not something we create. Unity is something we maintain. You got it? Unity is created by God because of grace to the gospel. But we maintain unity by the very fact of there is effort involved. We don't earn it, but there's effort. Remember, he's going to say you have to be eager to do this. You have to look and make some effort in your life to keep or to maintain unity. So we, now what he's going to do in this, matter of fact, in this whole chapter, what he does in the first part of chapter 4 is he's going to talk about unity ministry, and maturity. And then the last half of this chapter, he's going to talk about purity. He's going to say you can't live like the world lives. Greedy for immorality and all these kind of things that exist. You can't live like that anymore. All right? But let, we're just going to kind of focus in on this w- one idea of having unity. Now, now, you may have noticed in one of the things he says about unity, he says that there's one Spirit, and we have this by one Spirit. He says there's one Lord, and he says there's one God and Father of all, through all, and in all. What does that describe? The Trinity, right? Everybody say Trinity. Trinity. It's the Godhead. And so he describes it because you cannot have unity without the Trinity. 
You see, every aspect of the Godhead is involved in our lives to make us holy. And, and the Godhead himself is the perfect example of perfect unity. Even as there may be different roles or emphasis within that, there's a unity that exists there. See, unity uh, is not uniformity. It's not everybody marching exactly the same, looking the same, having the same gifts, and doing everything exactly the same way. That's not unity. Now, unity is something where there's a variety of things all pulled together, but they're working for one common, one common purpose. So that takes a lot of effort. Uh, any of you ever, any band people in here? Anybody ever been in the band? Yeah, there, there's a few of you out there. And how about music? You were in a choir, a chorus, or something? How about those that just wish they could have been asked to be in one? There, I got everybody else. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know how much of that kind of experience you've ever had, but. Uh, One of the most moving times in my life, I was in London, England, and the day before, there was a bombing. This was years ago. There was a bombing in France. You may remember this. And there was an old, uh, an old church there, one of the squares that I went to, and they were having a concert that night, and in it they were honoring the victims of the bombing. And in this old church, there was no, there was no sound system. It was, just, it was just a few strings, violins, a small group of people playing, playing some old, old hymns and beautiful pieces. And I sat there listening as this music just resonated through this old building. And I don't know if it was just the context of everything that had happened that day and that night and where I was in my life, but I, mean, I was moved by the music. Have you ever been that way? I was moved by the harmony. And, and, and strings and violins and tell, all those, those kind of things just are beautiful to me anyway. And so then I thought about what it's like have you ever been there at the beginning of a concert when the band is warming up? Remember, you know that part? Beep, 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 beep. You know, there's all kinds of sounds coming out. There's nothing in the harmony, nothing. Okay, that warming up, when everybody's doing their own thing by themselves, that's not harmony, and that's not unity. That's not what makes them a great orchestra. It's not what makes them a great ensemble or a great group. But all of a sudden, when all those talents are pulled together and all the different parts are working together for to complete one piece of music, and that all of a sudden pulled together is a beautiful harmony. That's the word he uses in Romans 12 when he talks about keeping harmony with one another. And that's what happens within the body of Christ. As different gifts, different abilities are used, there's a beautiful harmony that comes together that goes out to the world as a demonstration of who Jesus is and who the Spirit is and who the Father is and who His people are. For 
Unity is a demonstration of the gospel in action within a community of people. So you and I must make every effort, you see. But it's an effort not by ourselves, but it's an effort with, with other people in the community of God's people. So unity is something that's kept and maintained while it's not created by us. But it's vital that we understand the importance of it. You see... There are some there are some ingredients. Now, I'm not much of a cook. Uh, I can throw a piece of meat on the grill, and if it's steak, it doesn't have to stay there very long, and I'm done with my cooking. You know what I'm saying? That's about the extent of my ability at cooking, and so. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know how you like it. I, I like mine. I don't like mine cooked very much. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's, it's I like to think that my knife caused the final blow. You got it. But different people, you know. Now that's you know cooking one singular thing that might be a little bit more simple. But all of a sudden you start putting together a, a cake or a dessert, and, and, and look, you, I, I want you to feel free to do that anytime you want. You see. But that takes ingredients and that takes a recipe, that takes understanding some essentials that, that has to be involved there. What he gives us in this next verse, he gives us the ingredients or he gives us the essentials that make up unity. These have to exist before one can be maintained. They don't create one, but they're what they're what have to exist within us as a group of people to maintain it. Look what he says in this verse two. Be completely humble. Be completely humble. Now, basically, what he's going to describe through these next five things in this verse really illuminate the fruit of the Spirit he talks about in Galatians. It also shows the same Spirit that Jesus had in Philippians 2 when he left heaven and became flesh. And he humbled himself. And he says one of the things we have to have is humility. Now, that humility is so important to unity. And the reason it is, is because it is our tendency and it is our default to self-love, to self-proclamate, and to self-celebrate. And if you do not think self-celebration and self-proclamation is our default, just look on social media. And how many of us keep up with the likes and dislikes? By the way, feel free to go on the website and like the sermon all you want. But right? I mean, don't we look at that thing? I mean, isn't that important to us? How many of us are going to sit around a TV and watch some uh, football player make a play and then he's going to get up and he's going to lose a Superman deal or he's going to celebrate himself in front of everybody? Because of some great thing he did because some guy tripped and fell down. I mean, you know, they'll celebrate anything. Humility is not about celebrating ourselves. It's not about acknowledging ourselves. Being humble is about acknowledging the greatness of God and we're just privileged to walk in this oneness that we have because of the grace of God. 
So a key ingredient is humility. And the reason is, is because pride is underneath all discord. You show me discord or division, and I promise underneath that is going to be pride. Yeah, I told him one time, I said, boy, Mike, it's so sad that church down the road had a, had a split or had a division. I said, well, I, I, I used to say, what, uh, why? What was that over? When you say, what is that over, you usually mean because there's some doctrinal teaching, there's some, but you know, very seldom was it had anything to do with teaching. It always had to do with man's pride. Somebody didn't get what they wanted in that church and decided that it was worth destroying others to get what they wanted in that place. Pride is always underneath every division, every disunity, every disharmony. Somebody wants to be heard louder than the rest of the band. So the first thing he says is this thing of humility. Then he says to be gentle. You know, when I think of gentle people, that doesn't mean I think of weak people. This gentleness has the idea of, uh, of Steve, like you do, you know, how some, some of your animals, you've worked with animals a lot, how that some just have a gentle spirit about them, right? And so uh, uh, th- that type of thing, that gentleness that exists within the body of Christ, this is not an option for just a few of us. These aren't gifts that just exist in some... While some may have these in bigger ways than others, still at the same time, this is a character issue with all of us in the body of Christ. So he says you'd be, you'd be humble and you'd be gentle. Now, I like the word gentle because if I have a hurt in my life, uh, if I have a broken leg and somebody finds me, I want them, when they handle me, to be what? Gentle. Matter of fact, in Galatians, that's the picture he paints when a brother is caught up in a sin. Those of you who are spiritual are to restore him. That's the word. The restore is the word to treat gently, to handle gently as you do this. That's the idea behind it. Because in my brokenness, I don't need people being rude and mean to me. I need people who are gentle yet are still taking the right direction with me in life, right? We need gentleness among each other. So when we find ourselves being rude and being ugly and and treating people with a mean spirit, all of a sudden I'm not headed in the way of unity. I'm going down the the road of disunity. I've got to back up and say, look, okay, I've got to be humble. I've got to be gentle. Look what he says, Elsie says, patient. Literally means long-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D. That means you have a long view of things. See, the, the, the good thing about being older, I'm a little older now than some of the rest of you. Thank you, Tommy, for that amen. Uh, you know, when you, when you get over the hill... Time moves faster and you move slower. You ever notice that? So, uh, but I've also learned something about that. 
when I was young, something would come up and it would bother me and I would think, man, I've got to fix that right now. But I, because I didn't see the long view of things. I didn't understand that there are rhythms that take place. There are cycles that people go through in their hurts. And, and, and so as you're older and you've been through some things, you look at people and you know they can get through this, even though right now they may not think they can. And you have a long view toward that. You're patient with that. And, and you have some understanding with that. And so that's your approach to them. And then he says, not only this patience, but this forbearance. And this is the idea of the absence of of forcing what is right. You don't have to force what is right. You are forbearance. You don't have to force what is right right then. But he says you be forbearance in what? The fifth thing, in love. You know, all the speaking of love in the Bible, and yet Satan takes that term and turns it upside down for people in the world and in the church get such a blinded view of what love is. I had a person tell me one time who their, they, their marriage was on the rocks and another party had been involved and she was leaving her husband for another man. And you know what she told me? Mike, I, I know I've had all kinds of problems, but we have such a spiritual connection. I, God sent me this person. God sent you that person? No. That's not who, that's not who sent you that person. God doesn't send people to destroy marriages. God sends you some brothers around you and sisters around you to restore your marriage. He doesn't send people to destroy your marriage. That's not my God. My God doesn't do that. But what happens when they believe a lie of Satan about love? That somehow or another it's the experience, it's the feeling that I get out of something. When, When love is always about wanting what's best for someone else. That's the kind of love God had for us. Remember back in, well, some of you don't remember back in the 60s. Some of you remember back in the 60s, right? Some of you still dressing that way. I mean, you know, that's what's good about this place. You can come like you want to. So, uh, remember back, all the free love? Now think about that term. Free love. And everybody gathered up in New York at what? Some, okay, somebody older just said that word. Woodstock. Trent, you don't even know what Woodstock is. Bless your heart. Okay, bro, just stay that way. That's good. Woodstock. Or you go out and you, and, and you sing songs about putting flowers in your hair and you get in an old Volkswagen and go to California, right? I mean, this is the free love. Isn't it amazing that Satan uses this terminology because he disguises, get this now, look, he dresses up, he disguises bondage as free love. When the only free love is what comes by the grace of God who loved you, Romans says, while you were yet still a sinner. That's free love. 
And he says, in order to keep unity, this ingredients of character that must exist, this humility, this gentleness, this patience, this forbearance with one another in love. Look, I went to the grocery store the other day. I know that's, you're thinking, what were you doing there? Well, I actually go buy groceries from time to time. Susan lets me. And I always get more than I went in and intended to get. Because there's just always something that on the shelf I find that I just need to have right that day. So I, I go to the grocery store and I said, well, you know, I know I'm only going in for two carts, but I also know how I am. I mean, for two items, but I also know how I am, so I grab a cart because I know I'm going to see more. So I grab a cart and I got one of those. You ever get one of those that the wheel don't work? You know what I'm saying? Every time. You get what? You get that? Just like, you know, it's just like, and I'm the guy that just, I just want to force that thing. I'm going to make that wheel turn, you know? I mean, I'm going to work that thing. And that car, it's trying to go off to the left the whole time or the right, and you're fighting that thing. Probably just a little WD-40 or a little grease or something like that, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing one. Those are prerequisites for maintaining unity. They're what greases the wheels of the community in action with one another. Got it? And when they're left out, we all of a sudden can't push our community in the direction it needs to go to. It keeps trying to get knocked off one way or another. Which is why these qualities must exist before we can be successful at maintaining and cultivating and growing in the unity of God's people. See, unity is one of those things we mentioned. It's not created, but it is discovered. Years ago, I was in the country of Ghana in Africa. And we had taught in a school there several different times. And so we were out in the community and, and just visiting and trying to meet different people. And I meet a guy, and he had never heard of the particular school or church that I happened to be at. He was from out of town. He was a Ghanaian. And so we start uh, conversing, and I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a teacher at a Bible college. And so he said, well, I've been learning a lot of Bible, and I, uh, the, 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 the tribe that I'm with, there's a group of us. Uh, we just call ourselves the church. And I said, I like that. That's kind of the his- my history of a group. I said, We're just trying to be the church of the Bible, you know. And so I, we get to talking. And all of a sudden I start finding out and he describes the gospel. And I'm like, that's what we teach. And all of a- I discover a brother. Now, I didn't have to prove he was a brother. Let's see, do you line up with the seven things that I believe? I didn't have to, I didn't have to you know, question his salvation. It wasn't that. Just in our conversation, I realized this guy's a brother. I discovered a brother. Why am I discovered? There are brothers and sisters around the world. That, that there are brothers and sisters that speak Chinese, that speak Spanish, that speak Russian. And they're all around the world, this thing, because this gospel goes out. And of many nations and every tribe and every tongue and every language, you see, people come because of the same message. We have unity with those people. We're one. I'm one with those brothers and sisters. 
Not because I've discovered them and I've checked them out. That's not why we're one. We're one because God called us by the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and put us in this one body. And we're one. And as I discovered that, then I have a responsibility with that brother that I happen to be in community with to maintain unity and to grow to maturity. You see, unity is not based on the lowest common denominator. You ever seen a group of people work that way? Well, I tell you what, we're going to have unity. Well, somebody wants to do something different. Well, enough people here don't like that difference, so we just lower the common denominator and that way we keep unity. That's not how you maintain unity. Because that's not what made unity. What made unity? The grace of the message of Jesus. And so what keeps unity is me practicing the message of the grace of Jesus toward each other as we grow. And as we learn different things. And as we discover different gifts. And as we grow together examining God's Word. And in that growth, we become mature. Later on, he's going to say, so we can even take care of one another in, in our maturity. And he develops the body that way, to where it functions in great harmony. And with that functioning of unity, it displays to the world they are the people of God. One last verse for us. In John chapter 17, if you haven't read it lately, it's just a whole chapter of Jesus praying. If you ever want to work on your prayer life, just go look at John 17, see how Jesus prayed. Verse 1 says that after Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed. I like that automatically. I don't have to always bow my head. I can actually open my eyes and look to heaven. And in the midst of all this praying for the disciples, in verse uh, 20, he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. You. Jesus prayed for you. You're the ones that believed in this, their message. That all of them may be what? One. Say it with me. One. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us us, got the whole Godhead involved here, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you in me, so that they may be uh, brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me.
the oneness we have as God's body is displayed as evidence to the world. We are the disciples of Christ. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love, say it with me, love one another. You don't look around and tell someone is a true disciple by the name on their church building, by the actions of their members, good or bad, at any point of time of history. That's not how you tell. Someone said, well, Mike, I don't want to go down there to that church. There's hypocrites in that church. In other words, you're going to let a hypocrite come between you and God. That just means he's closer to God than you are. Doesn't that make sense? Are you kidding? We're a family full of brokenness right around here. Have you looked around lately? I mean, don't look at your neighbor right now, but I'm just saying. We've all come out of a bunch of messes, right? I mean, this suit will only cover up so much. I'm just There's a lot under here that's not good. And so my witness to the world cannot be my own goodness. While I conform to be like Jesus, that's this idea of growing up to be like Him. When He sees that this group of messed up people are working in harmony to be like Jesus and get the word out to other people who need the grace of God, then someone looks and says, wow, that's really God's people. They live different. They look different. They talk different than they used to. They live different than they used to live. They go to different places than they used to go. That guy used to be a hothead. Now he's gentle and humble. What happened to him? Amen. That's what happened to him, Kurt. Jesus. You're exactly right. And that's what has to happen to us to maintain unity, to have one, to be this oneness in Christ. And what a blessing that unity is. I know it's a blessing to me. I stood up a few years ago and my hometown to bury my dad and to look out over the audience and I've got my lesson and I look out and all of a sudden I see there's Bill Angeline, there's Gary Stevenson and there's Terry Hebert never met my family all of a sudden he's up there in no man's land uh for me. That, that's pretty humbling. And yet, that's what unity does. It, it brings people to care about each other and walk with them through hard times. As the old song says, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And they'll know we are Christians. By our love. If you want in on that kind of love, our invitation song is going to be sung in a minute. You can get in on that kind of body of people. If these characteristics and these ingredients are missing from your life, make a commitment to God about how you want to act 
as a member of this community of believers. That you want to eagerly keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because we need you desperately to be in harmony to make the beautiful sound of the gospel throughout all our community. Father, we love you. Thank you for the day. For my brothers and sisters, I'm grateful. I pray you'll help us to grow in our relationships. May we take on the Spirit and the character of Jesus. May we walk with gentleness and humility and patience and bearing with each other in love. May we display this oneness that exists, this one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, all the things that describe the oneness of being in you. Help us to realize it all starts with being in Christ and that changes how we live. If there's any change that needs to be done today with anyone, please prick their hearts. Keep the evil one far away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a need, please come while we stand inside.